great lesson. Uh, well, it's good to see you. Thank you for spending a part of your Sunday. Um, we're going to spend some time studying the scriptures, as is our habit. So let's stand together and we'll read the scriptures that we, uh, this whole teaching series is based out of Romans 12. Let you get there, get set, and we'll read it all together. Ready, go. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Mm. You can be seated. Today, we focus on this little phrase from verse 10, outdo one another in showing honor. This message series we've called All to Jesus is about how we in the Christian community, how we position ourselves before one another or how we posture ourselves before one another. Paul says at the beginning of Romans 12 that we must no longer be conformed to the pattern of this world, but we must be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Our minds are renewed more by what we do than what we think. And so we could rename this series, All of Our Actions Unto Jesus. All to Jesus. Hmm. Well, our world loves competition. Um, we, <laughs> we love to be first. There is a certain team yesterday that is now first place in the Pac-12, and there is a certain other team that is now second place in the Pac-12, losing yesterday. And I am so glad that my favorite team, the Oregon State Beavers, won yesterday. Uh, that was a lie. My favorite team is the Oregon Ducks. So yesterday was a dismal day. But I was proud of the Beavers. Yeah. But it's interesting how much we like to win or be associated with winning. Uh, I used to really like winning. Every game of one-on-one -on -one 
with my dad on the driveway was a, pr- a chance to prove my worth. Every pickup game uh, at lunchtime was a chance to prove my worth. Every practice was a chance to prove myself. And then as I got older, every JV game was a chance to prove that I'm worth something. And then as I got older, every varsity game and then every playoff game was another chance to prove that I'm something. And then every adult city league game getting a little old, isn't it? Mm. Over time, the, the feeling of approval via winning began to dim. My need to win, I think, illuminated a deep need that I have to be honored. Every person needs to be honored. I think it's why we constantly erect competitions whether it be a board game, a card game, an NFL game, an adult city league game, we construct opportunities to achieve honor, like esteem, respect, bragging rights. Anybody have bragging rights because of like, you know, bridge in their family? What are some other board games that you guys play in your family? What's that? Skip bow. Skip bow. Okay. Any others? Monopoly. Monopoly. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> bragging rights. Validation. Something we all want. The older I get, the less interested I am in competition. I don't like the feeling of being less than someone else. I don't like uh, being chided in defeat. I also don't like seeing the flush of defeat on somebody else's face. It's not satisfying. It's not satisfying for someone else's dishonor to be my honor. I often don't feel, I don't often feel energized by competition, but I think I could get behind Paul's competitive command here. He says to outdo one another in showing honor. This is an interesting injunction. He's just like, he's like, you guys are going to be trying to compete with each other and show who's the best. Here's how you should do it. Outdo one another in showing honor. He turns this all upside down. He doesn't say beat each other at how much you pray, like catalog your minutes praying and let's see who comes in first. He doesn't say, decide who is the most moral person among you and then, <laughs> and then uh, hold that over your, each other. But rather he says, if you're going to try to outdo one another, outdo each other in showing honor, dignity, respect, validation. Honor is a very simple definition to regard with great respect. Outdo one another in regarding each other with great respect. Now, this all sounds good. I'm sure you're like, yes, that sounds great. That sounds like the Bible. I want to do it. It's all good until we apply this to real life. (laughs) How and why do we give honor or respect to those who don't merit it? Follow me here for a moment. We have all been disrespected. We've all been dishonored. We have all done disrespect to others. We have all dishonored others. We are all victims and we are all offenders when it comes to honor. So how and why would we do that? It's a nice thought, but it has to come down to some reality. 
I'd like to paint a picture for you about why this is so difficult. It's because it's hap- dishonor and brokenness and ickiness is happening all the time. Moral psychologist Jonathan Haidt suggests that there are five basic moral categories through which we evaluate each other's honorableness. Others fall way short of being honorable. And we feel these things at like at a deep intuitive level. And he's put kind of five categories on them um, because we feel these things too. I think it'll make sense as we explain. The first one he describes is the care versus harm spectrum. We are evaluating how well we care and we are evaluating those who seem to harm others. An example, a well-intentioned foster mom slaps her foster child. She wanted to care, but harmed the other. The child deserves honor, but does the mom only deserve dishonor? You're probably feeling that. Like you're like, ooh, let's. The second spectrum that he uh, describes is fairness versus cheating. Over the last couple of years, you may have heard this, a national scandal uh, erupted. Um, Wealthy people were paying for their undeserving children to get into prestigious universities. Did you hear about some of this? Yeah. Aunt Becky was one of them, right? And, and we, we're just like those cheaters. <laughs> what a scandal. How dare they? They're privileged. They're entitled. But then we take a deeper look and we ask ourselves, have we been cheaters? Have we been manipulators? Have we deceived for the sake of gain? Have we not reported something on our taxes Have we not filed our taxes? (laughs) Ah, Fairness versus cheating. The next one he describes is loyalty versus betrayal. We're looking for these things. Uh, LeBron James grew up in Akron, Ohio, which is not very far from Cleveland, Ohio. And, um, And he was drafted in the first round, the first overall pick. And the Cleveland Cavaliers drafted him. And, you know, it's all in in the state. And it just felt like a good thing. And he was there for several years and he couldn't win a championship. And so then he betrayed Cleveland and Ohio. And he went down to Miami to play with Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade. And then he won a championship there. And then he came back to Cleveland and he was like reconciled to Cleveland and it was like reunited and it feels so good. And he won one championship there, but then he betrayed them again. I think my feelings about how it should be is coming out. And he went to Los Angeles and he won a championship there and that's where he's at now. Now we could, you know, we could argue about whether he should be loyal or not, or what the right or wrong thing is. But think about the people that have betrayed you, turned their back on you. What do we do with that? Can we honor those who do that? What about how you have betrayed others, leaving your family, betrayed others, hurting someone else with the choices that you've made? 
The next one, the fourth one, is authority versus subversion. Now, if you've been in authority position, uh, a parent, a boss, a manager, a shift lead, a team captain, a group leader, you probably know what it feels like to have your authority subverted. I remember coaching sixth grade girls basketball, right? I'm basketball coach. And the sixth grade girls would not do what I told them to do. I mean, I just was like, I have been dishonored. <laughs> Very difficult, right? We also all know what it's like to that temptation to rebel against authority, you know, to judge authority. Yeah, we know what that's like. And the final one is purity versus degradation. We have all done things with our bodies that we might regret or be ashamed of. We have seen other people act in dishonorable ways. We have used our bodies for violence or manipulation, or we've been debased, vile, indulgent. We see that happening, and there's this thing like, like this, almost a feeling of disgust that is natural to every human when we see people using their bodies. But what about how we have used our bodies? Now, the question is, how do we honor those people? Are we, are we able to be honored despite our degradation and sinfulness? Hmm. Well, listen, Paul was writing the book of Romans. He was writing to a Christian community that would have been full of reasons not to honor one another. Their world and those people were a lot like us. Lots of room for resentments for festering feuds, for despising low performers. And they would, have, they would have had the temptation that we have too, to get a sense of honor by just being a tick better than those who are around us. To get a feeling of validation because at least we're not like those sinners. And Paul speaks directly into that context and into our context, outdo one another in showing honor. We have to rewind a little bit in Paul's teaching to get a sense of how he could even say that. Why should we honor others unless they are superbly honor, honorable? Well, it's, it's really the work of God on our behalf. Because earlier in Romans, in chapter 3, Paul says this. It's on the screen. He says, as it is written, there is no one who is righteous, not even one. There is no one who has understanding. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. There is no one who shows kindness, not even one. And so our deepest intuition is correct. We are all broken. We are all guilty of dishonoring others and being dishonorable. None of us deserves honor. How could Paul say, outdo one another in showing honor? Let's go further with some of Paul's teaching. In Paul's teaching, we learn that we can, in the Christian community, honor people because of some core truths. And I'll just point out what he writes about Jesus and his work in Colossians chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. <clears throat> Paul says this. He, speaking of Jesus, is head of the body, the church. 
He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That means that Jesus was the first one to be resurrected so that he might come to have the first place in everything. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. When we think about our dishonorable past, God has done something about that in Jesus Christ. Our past has been forgiven by the cross of Christ. Paul goes to great detail to show how Jesus has taken the penalty and the results of our sin upon himself and he bore them on the cross that we might be cleansed from our sins and forgiven of all unrighteousness. Those verses point out how he has made peace through the blood of his cross. That truth is for you and I this morning that we are forgiven. Our past has been forgiven. But it doesn't just stop with forgiving our past, but rather this hope extends into our future. Our future is secured by the resurrection of Christ. Jesus is the firstborn to rise from the dead. He is the one that has secured our eventual uh, reality that we will all be resurrected, be given new bodies. We will be transformed in the twinkling of an eye and we will become as we were created to be. Our current reality is secured by the past work of Jesus and his future work on our behalf. But the present, the present, we are ruled by the ascended Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross and then he rose from the dead, but he didn't stop there. Then he ascended to heaven to put the responsibility on us, his church, to live underneath his lordship. Right now, Jesus is reigning at the right hand of the father and we who are following him are walking in his way, in his kingdom. We are enacting it and living it out here on earth because he is Lord over all. It is because of his work in the past, it is because of his work in the future that secures our present so that we can begin to treat others in the present with honor and dignity. It's really all about him. We honor each other because our future is secure and our past is forgiven and he is ruling in the present. And this is what Paul says in the book of the letter to the church in Philippi, Philippians 1.6. This is what he writes about your future and my future. Philippians 1.6, Paul says, I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Christ Jesus. He, is, he has begun a good work in you and he is going to complete it. We could say that every Christ follower is being renovated from the inside to the outside. We are being remodeled. <laughs> One day, the total you, the remodeled you will be revealed and you will be known in all of your redeemed glory. And it's better than you can imagine. Have you seen one of those reveal shows before, like extreme <laughs> home makeover or whatever? And then the family is just like, oh, <gasps> oh. I've never seen, well, I haven't seen a lot of those shows, but I've never seen one where they walked in, they're like, ah, ah, hmm, thank you. Good try, you know. I don't know why the person had to be British to say it like that, but you know. 
<laughs> no, and that's what it'll be like for us when all is revealed and God has totally renovated us. In the meantime, he is renovating us. For the first 10 years of our marriage, Donnie and I lived from apartment to apartment. We were always looking for the next like, good apartment deal, like two weeks free, one month free, six weeks free. And I think one time we got a two months free, you know, and so a good deal to get an apartment. So if you were my friend during the first 10 years of our marriage, like once a year, you were getting a phone call. <laughs> like, hey, what you doing on Saturday? Cool. Show up and like, ah, moving again. Yes. So it was a big deal. It was a big deal for us when our friends who were going to work overseas for a year asked us to live in their three-bedroom, two-bath house for a year. So this is exciting for us. I had an intern by the name of Simon who worked with me at the church I was on staff at. And Simon was very excited about us moving to this house. So a couple of days before we were moving in, we drove during lunch. I said, you, you got to see the house. And so we drove there. He's excited to see it. And I pull up next to this house, about two blocks from the actual house, next to this house that was like, you know, busted out windows, boarded up windows. And, and then like uh, a foundation had been lifted up and it was just sitting on railroad ties. And I said, Simon, I said, this is it. And he so wanted to be excited for us. He was like, he said, like, cool, what? You know, like, what? <laughs> and I couldn't hold on to my prank for very long. And so I said, no, this isn't it. And we drove, you know, to the actual house and he was greatly <laughs> relieved. <laughs> Listen, I think that we are more often like the house in renovation than we are like the move and ready house. That is more often where we're at. We actually don't quite know the depths of the dry rot and termite damage that is in our soul that Jesus wants to heal. We actually don't know that he often needs to put us on some railroad ties and take out the whole foundation because we've been building our life and brokenness. And how does that present to the world? A bit ugly at times. A bit broken at times. <laughs> Over time, we will mature. We will grow. But listen, as Christ followers, we treat each other with amazing honor and respect as we are in process. The future has been secured by Jesus, and it is amazing. And it is that future reality that dictates how we interact with each other in the present with, Lord, with Jesus as Lord. Our first posture towards one another as we are presenting all of the brokenness of someone being in renovation, our first posture is honor. How does Paul have the audacity to say, outdo one another in showing honor? How does he have that audacity? It's based upon the work of God on behalf of all of us, where we are equalized in the cross. We're not just equal because of our brokenness, but we're equalized in the grace that God gives lavishly to every one of us. We act in the present based upon the future of Jesus making all things new. Do you hear me? Jesus did this time and time again. This is how he interacted with others. And we'll wrap up this morning by taking a quick look at how one woman honored Jesus 
And then how Jesus honored her despite how undeserving she was. And we'll note the dishonorable response of the Pharisees who were supposedly honorable. It's not on the screen, but I have put the reference here. You can come back to it later this week if you would like. I'll read and summarize and just make a couple of observations. This is Luke 7. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he, Jesus, went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. A woman in the city who was a sinner, who was dishonorable, having learned that Jesus was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. A woman who had used her body in degrading ways was now using it to rightly worship Jesus and to bring him honor. And Jesus does not stop her. He does not condemn her. The Pharisees did condemn her, however. (laughs) They're rather self-important and thought they had it all figured out, not knowing the depths of their own brokenness. Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, called them whitewashed tombs. On the outside, they look good, but the inside is full of rot. Jesus honored her in the religious Pharisees' presence. This is what Jesus says in verse 47. Talking to the Pharisees, who are very concerned about this moment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, and I'll insert Isaac commentary, ignoring those self-important people. He said to her, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus is forgiving the worst sins and is giving peace to all who would trust him. He has done the work to give us honor and esteem. This account of Jesus with the sinful woman does not exist simply to bring dignities to individuals like you and I, although it does do that. It helps us to see that we too are broken and Jesus dignifies us and loves us and forgives us. That's a part of what this story does. But more than that, this story exists. This account of Jesus interacting with this woman provides a guide for how we in the Jesus-centered community, how we interact with each other. The Pharisees could only look at this sinful woman's dishonorable past But Jesus saw into her honorable future. And for me, the application is obvious. We honor any among us who would seek out Jesus. We give great respect and dignity. It is but for the grace of God that I go. It is but for the grace of God that you go. And so we see each other with future-oriented lenses, 
correctly seeing that all of us are being remade and the reveal is coming and we're going to respect and love one another just like that in the meantime. That's our posture. Our past is forgiven by the cross of Christ. The resurrection of Christ secures our redeemed future and the present right now is ruled by the ascended Christ. And the onus is on you and I to outdo one another in showing honor because of the honor that God has given us. <sighs> Here's some thoughts and some prompts for you to consider how this might work into your life this week. First, the question, what keeps you from seeing others through the lens of their forgiven past and their redeemed future? might be some bitterness about some of the hurt that you've had and it's hard for you to let go of your own bitterness and that makes you be a little bit more judgmental to those people that, that are, deserve your grace too. The second question, honor means giving respect. Who in your life should get more respect from you? Have you begun to cultivate a habit of subtle or overt dishonor to those who are closest in your life, the Holy Spirit wants to help you to honor those as Christ has honored you. The third question, if you are feeling unlovable, dirty, or unwelcome, please receive fresh hope today. Jesus loves you, he forgives you, and wants to tell you, follow me and go in peace. So in sum today, the big points, to make sure we're going away with the big points. First, Paul says to outdo one another in showing honor. Two, honoring others is difficult because we are all dishonorable. Three, we honor one another by acting in the present based upon Jesus' past and his future work. And four, we endeavor to be like Jesus who forgave the worst and judge those who would not give grace to the worst. <sighs> Folks, we can't do this on our own. Rather, week in and week out, we receive fresh grace by being renewed by Jesus, by being strengthened by him, by being filled with his spirit so we can walk in the way that he walked. We will see... Fresh strength today by receiving communion. So here's how uh, that will work. <laughs> um, there'll be two of us here at the front, and we will have uh, communion uh, elements, and we will give those to you. You will come down and get those, and then take the communion elements back to your seat where you, were, where you will uh, partake of them when you're ready. The, body of Jesus represented by that little wafer, <laughs> the blood of Jesus represented by the juice, which comes to free you and forgive you and give you fresh strength. So as you come forward today, the blessing that we will speak over you is this, Christ has made you honorable. Hmm. The team will lead us in a song and um, and we will, uh, you'll have some space to do that before we wrap up the service. 
right now, let's stand together and um, we are going to say this prayer of confession together as we prepare for communion. Ready, go. Eternal God, in whom we live and move and have our being, whose face is hidden from us by our sins, and whose mercy we forget in the blindness of our hearts, cleanse us from all our offenses and deliver us from proud thoughts and vain desires that with reverent and humble hearts we may draw near to you, confessing our faults, confiding in your grace, and finding in you our refuge and strength through Jesus Christ, your son. Hmm. The next few moments uh, are yours, and uh, go ahead and come and receive. Thank you.